Hello and welcome back to the podcast. You are listening to the Catholics podcast. It's a Catholic podcast for millennials by millennials. I'm your host, Miss Jacinta Florence, and each week I get to interview and talk with some of my friends who are doing great things in the vineyard of the Lord. As millennials, we have questions about happiness and what friendship looks like, how to communicate because technology has taken over. We have very, we're very multifaceted human beings. And so I get to talk with people who have various backgrounds um, and, <laughs> excuse me, <laughs> I've had this weird throat thing going on. Each week I get to talk with people who are doing amazing things for the Lord um, and who just have interesting stories that you wouldn't know about them if they didn't tell you otherwise. Um, and one of those people happens to be Kevin Peck. Um, who I'm going to talk with this week. He is a campus minister at UMSL and Webster University here in the wonderful city of St. Louis, Missouri. He's not from here, so it'll be fun to chat with him about what he thinks about St. Louis as um, somebody who is a transplant like myself. Um, So without further ado, welcome, Kevin. Hey, Jacinta. Good to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you on. How's it going? Going all right. Uh, First... Full day of Lent? I don't know if you count Ash Wednesday as a full day, but Ash Wednesday was yesterday, so yeah, um, just getting to... Did you fast yesterday? Oh, yeah. You did? Do you go hardcore? Because you're a convert, so you're probably, you're probably like fasting on bread and water. <laughs> uh, some years I'll do that. I didn't do that this year. Um, this year I fasted and then after work went back, ate an entire box of Kraft mac and cheese and then went to bed. Okay, so I was talking to a friend last night on the phone, and he ate mac and cheese as well late in the evening, so that must have been the thing to do. I myself had a cheese quesadilla. I was coming back from SEMO because um, I was mm-hmm. there giving a talk at their Newman Center, and uh, my friend was in Perryville, shout out, um, and he was like, let me give you the Perryville treatment, and so we went to Taco Bell, and I got a <laughs> cheese quesadilla and some chips and queso so that was my lenten fast <laughs> hadn't had taco bell in forever yeah um you know gotta get fancy for breaking the fast exactly you gotta get creative oh yeah yeah um so you are new ish to st louis ish this is my i moved here uh the summer of let's see what year is it Summer of 2017. Okay, so it's been a few years. Yeah, coming on three years. Yeah. Are you excited about that? (laughs) You like St. Louis? Uh, It's a Midwestern city. They feel... That's what I think, too. Um, No offense to all my listeners out there, but whenever I first moved out here... Okay, so I was originally offered a job in L.A. for Mm -hmm. Students for Life, and that's what made me apply. There's no way in hell I would have applied (laughs) if they would have said... We both have issues with our throat. What the heck? (laughs) There's no way I would have applied if they would have said, hey, come out to St. Louis. There's a position here. St. Louis just wasn't on my radar. Um, But they were like, hey, there's a position out in L.A. You should apply. And I was like, ooh, I'll apply. And after applying, they were like, you'd be a better fit for St. Louis. And I'm like, what? (laughs) So, um, but that's what I thought, too. I'm like, it's just another Midwestern city. But there are a lot of cool things about St. Louis. Like the free things, the city museum, the arch. Uh, (laughs) I've never really been been up the arch. I don't know. Um, Yeah, I haven't been there either. And for the record, I'm not trashing Midwestern cities. I'm from Milwaukee. I'm born and raised Midwestern. Uh, St. Louis just does not feel that different. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, I was intentionally trying to trash Midwestern cities. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm from a Midwestern city. I'm from Tulsa. So does that count? It's not really Midwest, is it? I'd call it South. Uh, I've had fights with people about this personally i think st louis is like on the border mm-hmm. uh you know missouri did fight on both sides of the civil war so yeah it, i say if you fought for the confederacy you're in the south but mm-hmm. okay fair enough yeah but i don't consider myself south because alabama georgia and all of those places seem really south but we're just kind of awkwardly there yeah Oklahoma. And nobody really cares about Oklahoma. Let's be honest. Okay, now I'm insulting all my family and friends back home. Let's just dive into the topic because we are on a roll today. Um, So, Kevin, I recently just missed a party that you were hosting. Can you tell me what that party was about? Right. So that party uh, was the five-year anniversary of my cancer diagnosis. Mm. Um, 
And so the idea behind that is when you are diagnosed, you are given a five-year survival rate, um, which they figure um, if that cancer is going to kill you, it's going to be within the first five years. And so they base uh, survivability on if you're alive at the end of five years. Mm -hmm. And so I hit that five-year mark, which means I made it. Um, Yay! Praise God! Oh my gosh, that's amazing! Um, You know, it's mostly a statistical thing because cancer doesn't really care about dates and all that. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I'm not... Was never given a big all-clear by a doctor or anything, so I figured, eh, this is my chance. Okay, yeah. So, can you just tell me what it was like whenever you first heard that news? Oh, it sucked. Yeah. Where were um, you at in life? Were you still in college or were you So, working? it was my last semester of college. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, it was the morning of the career fair where I was, you know, supposed to figure out what I was doing after graduation. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of going to that, I went to the ER uh, and within about five minutes of going into the ER, the doctor told me, hey, you are staying overnight. Mm. Uh, there is something seriously wrong and we need to figure out what that is. So something drove you to the hospital. So were you feeling sick or just... Uh, I was bleeding a lot from somewhere you're not supposed to. Dang, I'm so sorry. Ugh, that sounds horrific. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it was, it was a little traumatic. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so then you're there and then you're like, holy crap, this is happening. Yeah, you know, um, every every doctor, they started out asking me if I'd had any sushi recently. Cause oh, allergic reactions gut, and things? You know, gut reactions, infections, stuff like that. Sure. Um, but uh, I, after I'd been there for about 36 hours, so the afternoon of the second day, a uh, doctor came in, uh, sat me down, told me, hey, you probably have colon cancer. Mm. Um, which, you know, I was 22 years old. Uh, she said I was the second earliest case she had ever seen. Um, because, yeah, that's like an old people disease. Mm -hmm. Um, do you have like a history of that in your family or? Uh, no, there, we think my, my father's mother died of cancer, but that was like back in the seventies. Uh-huh. Um, other than that, nobody had really had anything pop up. Mm-hmm. Um, so nobody really understood why there was no, um, explanation for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had never crossed anybody's mind in the family that it could be cancer. Yeah. Uh, my dad was sure until the doctor came in that it was just cause I didn't eat enough Vegetables? Yeah, vegetables. That's my dad, too. (laughs) I mean, just in general. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's just a dad thing. Eat your veggies. Which, to be fair, (laughs) I did not eat them. (laughs) Me either. (laughs) I should. But, uh, whatever. Yeah, so, uh, there was that. Um, and you know, doctor comes in, tells you that, uh, gave me about an 80% five-year rate. Wow. Um, Oh my gosh. We all know your age, right? Because you said 22 and you said yeah, five so years. So now you're... I'm 27 now. 27. Turn 28 next week. What's your birthday? Uh, March 6th. March 6th. Okay. We should do a party. Go out. <laughs> <laughs> and um, not drink because I'm doing Nineveh 90. But something else. Um, but okay. So you'll be 28. I'll be 28. Um, yeah. And so they... The hospital was great. They got me connected with a great doctor right away mm-hmm. um you know i had a couple days where you were just kind of in a fog in a haze you know randomly breaking down every once in a while you know Aww. it's a little traumatic event yeah i mean it would be for anybody especially because you're going through it and you feel so alone probably because nobody else is going through yeah. it with you and you're like you don't understand how i feel right now i feel sick you probably yeah. felt weak all the time. Did you have to do chemo or anything like that? Yeah, so I had about a two-week two window, I think it was. Um, so I was diagnosed. The next week I met with the oncologist, and he had me set up to uh, start chemo like a week later. Gotcha. Uh, so I started chemo, uh, did that for about four months, 
through the last semester of college, um, which that was a lot of fun, but, you know, all my professors were super understanding. Sure. Uh, and so the way it worked is you got the infusion of chemo one mm-hmm. week, and that basically knocked you out for the week. Dang. That would be um, so hard to try and finish school, like, in that state. Yeah. And so then you have a week off to, like, recover and live life to whatever degree you can. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had it set up with my professors and everything that I was basically having chemo week, school week, chemo week, school week. Um, they yeah. were all super understanding, um, gave me all the leeway I needed. Um, and honestly, being in school helped a lot. Or to get your mind off of it. Yeah, it gave me something to focus on. Um, you know, I'm a very goal-oriented person. It gave me... You choleric. I love the temperaments. <laughs> um, I think when you talked once, you're melancholic. About, hardcore yeah. melancholic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, did that. Um, ended up graduating with barely any hair, so that was fun. Um, well, it's all back, so... It's, it's all back. Yeah. Uh, more than before, which mm-hmm. was kind of weird, but... Um, yeah, so, so you, did you, was that the end of it, or did you... No, so after that... Continuous struggles with cancer, or, yeah, how did that work out? Uh, so I had the chemo, um, the chemo was not there to, like, cure it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole point of the chemo was to prevent spreading. Gotcha. Um, okay, so they didn't actually get to the root of it. Right. So when it when I was diagnosed, the tumor was about the size of a baseball. Ouch! Oh my gosh, um, that sounds like a lot. Yeah, yeah. it was it was a lot. Ugh. Um, Dang. And so they put me on chemo right away to prevent it from spreading, because mm-hmm. um, that is the big line um, where. Uh, survivability and good results drop pretty significantly. Right. Um, so the idea was chemo first and hopefully that will kill any cells that are floating around in the body trying to spread elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And then when they're taken care of, we can focus on the root issue. Gotcha. Uh, so after four months of chemo, then I had... Six weeks of radiation where they shot a targeted radiation laser at it. Gotcha. Um, which was not nearly as bad as chemo. Uh-huh. What's the difference? Uh, so chemo hits the entire body and it's straight up poison. Dang, yeah. Uh, the idea is behind chemo is kill everything and hopefully kill the cancer before you kill the patient. Oh man. Okay. Um, so it's not, it's not what you would want medicine to be. Oh, sure. You feel uh, like crap it's, all the time. Yeah. It's yeah. basically the best you have. We mm-hmm. have though. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how that worked was, uh, messed with all my nerves, constant pain. Mm-hmm. Um, it was in a haze all the time. Um, could not stand on my own Aww. a lot of the time. Did you have like a walker or anything? Um, well, I was basically in bed the entire week. Gotcha. Okay. Fair enough. Um, you know, nausea, can barely eat. Uh, one of my weird ones was all of my teeth were hurting. So Aww. like root canal level pain in every tooth. Yeah. Um. That sounds terrible. Yeah. It wasn't fun. Okay, so everything you're describing sounds awful. Like, totally terrible. Yeah. Um, obviously, you don't have to... I mean, you got through it. Praise God. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Um, and in this season of Lent, I this is a time of suffering, of purging, of um, almsgiving, fasting, and all of those things. Um, but I think there's a temptation when we're suffering to turn away from God and mm-hmm. to be angry with Him. And to be like, why would you allow this to happen to me? Like, how dare you? Um, how? What was your spiritual life like during this process? Yeah, so it... Because um, you're a convert. Right, so, so this was... When did you was, come into the faith? 
uh, the Easter beforehand. Oh, gosh. So you're like, okay, thank you, Lord. <laughs> yeah, so this was my first Lent as an official Catholic. Wow. Okay. What a Lent. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, and so there were a lot of, you know, God moments in the whole thing. So it turns out uh, the priest who brought me into the faith, he was the de facto chaplain at the Newman Center. Mm-hmm. Um, young guy, he was like 35. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the guy who brought me into the faith and about four or five months before I got diagnosed, he got diagnosed with the same cancer. Wow. Um, and as it turns out, we actually ended up having the same doctor at the same hospital. Mm. Uh, and our treatment schedules were a little bit different, so we actually had chemo at the same time. Okay. Uh, so we ended up having chemo appointments together. Interesting. Okay, so you weren't alone. So I presumed, but you were going through it with somebody else. That's beautiful. Yeah, and so he, you know, he was my spiritual father. Mm-hmm. Uh, taking on the image of Christ, he was the one who brought me into the Catholic faith, and here he was carrying the same cross right in front of me. Beautiful. Um, and when I started chemo, he got together a goodie box because he knew like what you need mm-hmm. during it. Uh, so it was fun stuff like a bunch of warm socks because you get nerve damage in your feet and your hands. Mm-hmm. Um, about three pounds of lemon drops to uh, deal with the metal taste from the chemo. Dang. Uh, and then he also got me one of those little shorter Christian prayer books. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's how I got introduced to Liturgy of the Hours. Wow. Um, and that was how I prayed through the, the whole thing. Yeah, because first of all, I did not have the brain power to pray on my own. Right. Like, I could not hold a conversation with somebody in front of me, let alone with mm. God. So having the pre-written prayers of the Psalms mm-hmm. gave me the ability to do something. Yeah. Because um, it's right there. It's yeah, it's right, right there. You. Um, and then so many of the Psalms are just straight up yelling at God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that gave... You know, I was able to pray what I was feeling. That's beautiful. Without having to have the brain power of being able to say it. Sure. Yeah, that's amazing. That's why I love the Liturgy of the Hours. um, Because it's both like being real with God Mm -hmm. and, as you said, shouting at God. And then also praising Him, too. And Jesus prayed the Psalms. And so when you pray it, you're praying what Jesus prayed. And that's amazing. Yeah. yeah, how did going throughout this period of your life help with your discernment? Like, you have that spiritual father who's walking with you. Were there any times during this process that you were thinking of, like, priesthood or anything like that? Yeah, so um, the idea had certainly come up um, during the conversion process. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was told, like, hey, you need to be a confirmed practicing Catholic for two years before you can even think apply to a seminary. Okay. Uh, so I figured, okay, great. I don't need to think about it right now. We'll see where I am in two years and uh, just figure it out then. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I get sick. And as it turns out, the top two reasons for getting rejected from seminary and religious life are medical issues and debt. Okay. Uh, so I had pretty big medical issues and student loans. Mm, uh, so on a practical level, yeah. uh, it felt like the decision was made for me. Sure, yeah. And just continuing through it, I've never felt like I was supposed to go back to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that yeah, there, there was the practical... practicalities were right in front of you. Yeah, there was yeah. the practical part of it too. Um, and then... During the chemo, uh, and this is the part that I sometimes don't always share. Ooh, okay. Everybody's like listening more intently now. (laughs) Um, So during chemo, um, 
ready to just stop. And just throw in the towel. Just throw in the towel. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was bad enough that I did not want to keep living. Mm. Um, you know, I looked at my friends and I didn't feel close enough to any of them to go through it for them. Uh, same thing with my family. Like, I love them, but, you know, there's limits to that. Um, and, uh, you know, I love God, but the trade-off was if I die, then I get to be with God. So staying alive didn't really seem like... A good option. It felt like more loving, or not more loving, um... It felt like it would be better for the relationship to die because then you're in heaven with God as opposed to on earth struggling to keep a relationship. I hear what you're saying, yeah. Um, and so with that, there just wasn't any sort of relationship in my life that was worth going through it for. Fighting through yeah. all of that hell, basically. Yeah. yeah. And so where was the turning point then? So... In the foggy haze and chemical delirium of chemo, uh, and through all the prayer and stuff, um, God, in a way I don't really understand, showed me my children. Whoa. What? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, (laughs) Tell me more about that. (laughs) That's amazing. So, you know, I'm not claiming this was like a prophecy or anything. There wasn't a vision or anything. (laughs) Okay. Uh, it would be super easy for a psychologist to just throw the whole thing out. Sure. Um, but in the middle of that fight, uh, my children became as real to me as anybody else. Wow. Uh, and so with that, like, I named them. Uh, I prayed for each of them every day. And being... Doing it for them was what got me through chemo. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being able to sacrifice myself for my children, even though, like, you know, they weren't real. Right. Um, but they were real enough to me that I was willing to... Fight for them. Fight for them. Wow. And go through hell for them. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. I was not expecting you to say anything like that. That's... That's intense. Yeah. In a good way. Yeah. And so I figure, and you know, I've talked about it with spiritual directors and stuff. I figured that was about as close of a sign as you can get to a call to family life. Yes, yes. Okay, so that helped you with your discernment. Okay, so now I understand what you were talking about when you said that your cancer helped you with your discernment. Um, Yeah, and... Vocation and... yeah. Yeah. And obviously that is a very unusual case. Yeah, but God works through each of us uniquely. Yeah. So yeah. that's pretty cool to hear that that, that part of your story. Yeah. Um, so yeah, after that, uh, you know, I've there's always been an attraction to the priesthood. Mm-hmm. Uh, but whenever... You give me Byzantine vibes. Because <laughs> I haven't shaved in a while. It's the beard. <laughs> um, like, there's always been... An attraction to the priesthood, the attraction to sacrificing myself for the church. Mm-hmm. Um, but whenever I go into prayer and approach God with that question, the drawing is always to that family from mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've heard seminarians say the flip side where it's like in their normal everyday life, they're attracted to family life. But when they go into prayer, they're attracted to priesthood. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so for me, it was the opposite where, you know, I'm working in ministry. Mm-hmm. I see the priesthood day to day. In my day to day life, there's the attraction to that. Right. Um, but when it's just me and Jesus in the chapel, it's I want to be a father and raise children. Mm. That's beautiful. And that's amazing part of your story <laughs> to fight for your unborn children. Um, and that's so pro-life of you and the work that we're like, I'm doing with the pro-life movement. I really love that. Um, cause I tell the students all the mm-hmm. time that since 1973, there've been about 60 million abortions and that's over a third of our generation that's gone missing. And these are people that we could know right now could be our friends, our family members, a future spouse even, 
And so to hear you fight for for your children who haven't even been born yet is so pro-life and so beautiful. <laughs> so maybe that's why the pro-life club is thriving here at UMSL. <laughs> Shout out to them, those students at UMSL. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're doing good work. Um doing at least as well as the actual Catholic ministry is doing, who's been here since the founding of the school. Uh, you know, no, no jealousy or anything. <laughs> not at all. No, not at all. We're very supportive of the pro-life group here. Um, you know, tons of our members are members of both. So mm-hmm. um, very supportive and glad they're here. No, I'm just so impressed by them. Yeah, like I was telling you earlier, usually with some of my students, you have to give them a little bit more encouragement, but... Whenever we're on campus, they take the lead. They're not afraid to talk to um, pro-choice-minded individuals. They're not afraid to share their beliefs, and it's beautiful. Um, And they're changing hearts and minds in the process. So I'm like, you guys don't even really need me here. (laughs) But they're doing great work, so you should be proud of your students. Oh, yeah. Maybe it's just because you're so pro-life and you didn't even know it. (laughs) Yeah. (sighs) Yeah, so... um... Okay, so how did you end up in St. Louis? I love hearing these types of stories. Okay, so um, that's the other exciting part of the story. Um, so quick time skip. After chemo, had six weeks of radiation. After that, had um, surgery to remove the whole thing. Um, you know, uh, cut out pretty significant part of my portion of my digestive tract. Oh, my gosh. Um, and so that was supposed to be the curative aspect. Anytime I stub my toe, I'm going to be like, Jacinta, you are so lame. <laughs> After hearing all that you've been through. Okay, keep going. Um, and so during this year, I'd taken a year off because, you know, I wasn't going to be able to find a job and work during all of this. Okay, so you're taking a year off. Taking a year off just to well. survive. Yeah. Uh, during that year, uh, that was the first year that... Uh, the Archdiocese of Milwaukee started their Brew City Catholic campus minis- campus missionary program. By the way, this must be like Milwaukee week because I'm going to have Mike Mangiani on next week. Oh, he's great. Who- yes, he's amazing. Um, yeah, I'm glad you know who he is. It's like hit or miss with people who know who he is or not. You know. What yeah, I, I don't think we've ever like had a conversation, but I've seen him in concert at least twice, and he is really good. He's so good, and he's a really good storyteller. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, it's Milwaukee week. It's a good place. I've never been. That's one state I've never actually been to. I've been to a lot of states. I've been to, I actually stopped keeping track after 33, but I'm pretty sure it might be up to 40 by now. I don't know. I have to go back and check. But Wisconsin is not one of the places that I've been yet. I haven't had a reason to go. Well, Milwaukee's a great place. So, for you and anybody listening, if you end up in Milwaukee, do the Lakefront Brewery Brewery Tour. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, it's 10 bucks. You get four half pints through the tour. That sounds amazing. <laughs> uh, and then when you leave, they give you a free pint glass with a coupon for a free pint that night of their beer at any of the bars in town. Okay. So what is this called again? Lakefront Brewery in Milwaukee. Lakefront Brewery. You guys heard it first here on the Catholicholics podcast. <laughs> uh, you know, everybody from Wisconsin, they talk about Spotted Cow as the best beer out of there. Uh-huh. I've um, heard of that one. River West Stein from Lakefront Brewery is better. Do you like stouts or lagers? Uh, or IPAs? Ugh, I don't like IPAs. It tastes like freaking pine salt. <laughs> um... I don't mind. I like IPAs. I'm not big on stouts. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, you like IPAs? I just insulted you. <laughs> okay. It's an acquired taste. It took me a couple months to get used to them. Yeah, okay. Fair um, enough. <laughs> yeah, so River West Stein is more of like uh, an Oktoberfest style beer. Okay. Uh, I forget what the official I can get down with is. that. Yeah. Um. My favorite beer happens to be Princess Yum Yum. You can only get it <laughs> at the Denver Beer Co. It's raspberry ale. It's very tasty. So They have a lot of fruity ones in Milwaukee, too. Good to they, know. They just have a lot. I love it how we're talking about beer, and I'm doing Nineveh 90, and it's Lent, and a lot of our listeners probably gave up alcohol for Lent. So whenever you're finished with your fast, check all of these things out. <laughs> Yeah, yesterday here uh, on Ash Wednesday during our staff meeting, we were going through dessert recipes. 
Oh my gosh, that must have been like torture. Uh, we didn't realize we were doing it until about 10 minutes in, and then we stopped. <laughs> yeah. Um, Do you have a favorite dessert? <laughs> Mine's tiramisu. I love some tiramisu. Tiramisu. Um, I'm honestly not a huge sweets person. Uh, anything combining peanut butter and chocolate's good. Ooh, yeah. Um, Reese's. Reese's. Um, but yeah, I've just never been much of a sweet tooth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm derailing the conversation. Yeah, <laughs> long tangent. Yeah. Uh, um, that's what makes podcasts good. It's true. Um, no, I noticed that if I'm like, if I've done keto or something, I'll end up in long conversations about different types of food that I can't have. And that's like torture <laughs> as well. So... It just makes you appreciate it even more. That's why I love fasting so you can feast. It's the best. Oh, yeah. Sundays, I'll allow myself to have a cheat day. I'll get a beer, and it's going to taste amazing. Oh, yeah. Those Sunday beers are good. Yeah. Um, Okay. But how'd you end up in St. Louis? Yes, that story. Why did you leave Milwaukee Cheese and all of those fine IPAs to come to the Rome of the West? The Rome of the West. That's what call it. Um, I'll get there though. It's a bit of a roundabout way there. Um, so during my medical leave year, um, because I converted in college, the only real Catholic community I had was the Newman center I went to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I had the year off, a lot of free time. So I hung out there a lot during the medical year. And that was the first year that the Archdiocese of Milwaukee had their missionary program, um, Basically, copy and paste focus with some more hipster branding. What is the name of this org? Uh, Brew City Catholic. Okay, that sounds really cool. <laughs> um, and so during that year, um, you know, obviously I was going through a lot of spiritual turmoil. A little bit. A little bit. Um, You're like, I came into the church and all of this happened. I don't know if I want to do this anymore. That's what I would be thinking. I'd be like, what did I sign up for? Um, and so there were all these missionaries. And this year it happened to be all... Uh, there was a guy running the program, but he was sort of hands-off. It was... Five young women who all graduated. Mm-hmm. Um, all of them were amazing, uh, strong, powerful women who did not take crap from anybody. Okay, and these were in your community? Yeah, okay. so uh, the missionary program was basically just at our campus. Gotcha, okay, the Bruce City Catholic. Bruce City Catholic. Okay. Right. Um, and so there were all these. You know, first year out of college, mm-hmm. uh, very strong in their faiths. Um, and because what did you convert from? Did you convert from Protestantism? Yeah, so Pro- I was. <laughs> wow, Protestantism. <laughs> I was a non-denominational evangelical. Okay, and were you pretty practical? Like I know some people say yeah. I converted from Protestantism, Protestantism, but I they d- weren't really doing anything with their faith. So were you actually active in your faith? Uh, yeah. So I'd always felt like it wasn't the perfect fit, uh, but I'd always had like a pretty strong relationship with God through that. Okay. Yeah. And so these missionaries, they were living out their faith. They were showing their faith to other people. Mm-hmm. Five strong, independent, or not independent, five strong, faithful young women who are strong. They, they definitely had independent streaks. <laughs> Nice. Okay. Um, you know, the type of person that you need in the first year of a program like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they were really inspiring to me. Um, and so during all that, uh, right before my surgery, uh, the priest, his name is Father Luke, uh, he asked me to sit down, meet with him, and he brought up the idea of applying for the missionary program for the next year. Uh, I had never thought about it, never crossed my mind. Uh, I did a quick 30-second thought process to make sure I didn't have any commitments or anything that would interfere with it. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, hey, I could actually do that. And then I felt the peace in my heart and sort of You're like, I want to be surrounded by five women. (laughs) I just had to throw that in there. (laughs) That was the real draw. Let's be honest. (laughs) 
Um, I think, yeah, none of them, or only one of them stuck around for the second year. Gotcha. Okay. Um, you know, it's not focused. They only have a one-year contract. Okay. So. so you were thinking about doing this, and then what happened next? Um, basically just committed to it right away. Um, oh, so you did do the program. Yeah, I did okay. do the program. Very cool. Um, yeah, 30 great. seconds after being asked, uh, I committed to it. And then father told me, hey, no, you should like actually pray about this and think about it a little longer. <laughs> Discern a little bit. Discern a little bit. <laughs> um, which, you know, I did. Uh, but that yearning and peace in my heart for doing the program never went away. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I applied. A um, couple months go by. You know, they have to wait for other people to apply, all that fun stuff. Uh, I have my reconstruction surgery in March, or mm-hmm. end of February, uh, and then in March I have my first set of scans post-op and all that. Uh-huh. Um, and so one Sunday in March I get the official offer at Mass that evening, uh, get the official offer to be a missionary, shake hands on it, commit to it, great, Yay! we're all go. You're ready to go. You're ready to be a, a Catholic hipster. Ready to be a Catholic hipster. Um, <laughs> then the next day, I go into the doctor's office and meet with my doctor about the first post-op scans. Uh-huh. Uh, and he sits me down, asks me how I'm feeling, and tells me that there are a lot of tumors in my oh liver. Oh, my gosh. That sounds awful. Oh, my um, gosh. Ugh. He, how did you feel when he said that? Uh, it was sort of a replay of the first go around. Mm-hmm. Um, he told me that, uh, first of all, they didn't bother counting how many tumors there were. Cause there were that many. Cause there were that many. That's awful. Um, he told me that theoretically we could do chemo again. Uh, but there wasn't really a point because if this happened, it means it didn't work the first time. That's hopeful. Um, he told me that we couldn't do radiation uh, because they would have to radiate my whole liver and that would basically kill the liver. Okay. Um, there were some other, there was another option called radiation beads where they basically put like small radiation pellets in your bloodstream and hopefully they get caught on the tumors and just do some targeted radiation. So it's like a gamble, too. Yeah. He said that would maybe buy a year if we're lucky. Oh, my gosh. Um, He told me then that there was an experimental immunotherapy option, Mm -hmm. which, if you're not familiar with medical speak, um, chemotherapy is where they put chemicals in you to just kill stuff. Immunotherapy is when they put chemicals or some sort of chemical in you to activate your immune system to Mm -hmm. try and have your immune system attack the disease itself Mm -hmm. Uh, so he brought up the option for that Uh, it was in clinical trials Um, he said there was another clinical trial starting in six weeks but that he was not comfortable waiting that long oh wow um so what did you decide to do so we started that he's uh we had to apply with the drug company uh to have them donate it basically uh because the fda hadn't approved it so insurance wouldn't pay for it so this basically happened a year like after you were getting well for that whole year and then you go back to the doctor and find out you're worse yes oh my gosh that sounds awful yeah it wasn't fun yeah um He told me that our hope for treatment was that the immunotherapy would keep the cancer contained in the liver for a while, and then hopefully down the line, if it stayed contained, we could convince somebody to do a liver transplant. Mm. Um, And he said that was basically the only option Option. for any sort of long-term cure. Um, so we tried to, we got the immunotherapy, uh, because of 
the way our medical system works, it took us about three weeks to get all the paperwork through, mm -hmm. uh, which was incredibly frustrating. Mm -hmm. uh, so started that up. Um, and about two weeks after starting that up, I started having some pretty significant back pain. Oh, gosh. Um, and it ended How up... How old were you during this time? You are like, t right out of college, so 23, 24? Uh, 24. Okay. Yeah, so pretty significant back pain. Um, you know, tried just getting on with life. Um, it was bad enough. I was at Walgreens looking at canes. Aww. Um, it got to the point where I could not stand... And I could not lay down either, just because mm -hmm. the pain was constant. So I ended up going to the ER for that. They did a CT scan. Nothing showed up. Um, they set me up for a, an appointment for an MRI. Mm -hmm. That was a week later. They did that. Nothing showed up. Uh, then, you know, the pain wasn't getting any better. So they set me up for a third type of scan, a PET scan. Um which was another week later. And so they did that scan. Um, and then, so one of the fun quirks of scans in hospitals are, um, if you don't see your doctor right away, mm -hmm. uh, the system will automatically email you the scan report three days after the scan. Okay. Without like having the doctor there to explain to it to you. communicate everything to you. Yeah. Um, and so is that what happened in your case? That's what happened. Oh gosh, so it was probably really bad, wasn't it? Um, so I it was about midnight. Um, because the doctor usually, I, I'm sure I have never had this yeah. experience before, so I don't know, but I'm sure they soften the blow a little bit and give you some sort of hope. Yeah, that is a uh, big part of their job. Right. <laughs> Um, so midnight rolls around a couple days after the scan, uh, I get the ping on my phone. You have an email from the hospital. I'm mm -hmm. like, I really should not read this. This late at night. Yeah. But. <laughs> or just in general. In general. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but also I do not have the willpower not to. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I opened it up, um, and read the scan report. Uh, the tumors in the liver in that three, four, five week period, uh, had more than doubled in size. Oh my gosh. Um, so at this point they were, the bigger ones were probably the sizes of Twinkies. Wow. Um, and in addition to that, uh, they had found two new tumors in between my vertebrae. Uh, pressing on the nerves and those were that's why your back like, was hurting so much yeah. oh my gosh so that was unpleasant uh and that right then i broke down mm -hmm. um oh gosh because like you said like hey god uh what what's up with this yeah totally. um like you know i'm praying i'm going to mass i just gave you and your church a year of my life what is going on mm -hmm. um, I would have been like so I can't, I can't imagine the amount of anger that you must have had yeah I was mad um, just sort of let it loose on God you know internally because it was midnight and it was an apartment <laughs> complex um, I love that the disclaimer <laughs> you know like no actual yelling um, but at the end of that uh popped a Valium and said, God, you know what? I've trusted you this so far. I've already given you a year of my life. You know what? Based on my understanding of the scan, I've got maybe two months left. Mm. Um, this life isn't worth much to me anymore. You can have it. Do whatever you want with it. Okay. Well, in a way, that's a surrender. Yeah, a that's surrender. exactly what it was. That's like... I, that's probably the best thing you could have done. You know what right. I mean? I would have been like uh, so angry. I mean, you were. Yeah. But, um, it, you know, went through the stages. Sure. Uh, got to that prayer of complete surrender. Uh, Valium kicked in, went to bed. <laughs> um, 
And then the next day uh, was when I was actually meeting with the doctor. Um, so went in, met with him, uh, and he was actually pretty happy with the scan results. What? Uh, he, you know, he didn't go in depth into it because, you know, softening the blow and all that. Uh, but basically he said that if the treatment wasn't working, the scan would have looked a lot worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... As it turns out, the treatment has about a month, six-week delay before it, like, catches and then it starts working. Um, and so based on that scan and his interpretation of it, it had caught, it had started working. Um, and after that, I started feeling better. The pain in my back started to go away. Um, Did they have to do surgery to get those tumors out? Oh, or? nope. Just sort of left it. So you didn't have to do any of uh, any surgery. Um, and you ju- the treatment wasn't making them any bigger or grow faster, right. so you felt better. So the maybe. treatment was starting to shrink them, so the pain started to go away. Uh-huh. Um, and so then I got to do that year of fundraising, or that oh, summer Bruce of fundraising. City. So you were going to do Bruce City. I was City. still doing Bruce love City. I uh, Still that. did the missionary thing. I love that. Uh, anybody who knows a focused missionary knows that you have to ask people for money to you know survive that year Mm -hmm. so i got to do that um treatment was a lot better than chemo Mm -hmm. uh there was the one fun side effect it made me allergic to sunlight really Uh, yeah so like i'd break out into hives uh going from like the front door to the car Uh uh-huh was Um, that why you moved to st louis because it's so overcast in the midwest i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) i keep on ripping on st louis uh, the weather here is not great. It's not. But anyways, um, so anyways. That's, that's a terrible side effect to have. That sounds awful. Right. Yeah. Um, but, no, you know, No trips to the it. beach for you. No trips to the beach. Um, went through the summer, got all the money raised, um, started the actual missionary year, mm-hmm. uh, got to, like, actually do ministry with college kids, and it was great. Um. And then, so it was my alma mater, which made it weird. Um, Going back? Yeah. Really? And then, like, a lot of the students already knew me, so that was super weird. But it was also the only school we were really at at that point. Is that program growing and expanding? Yeah, so they're... Keeping it local. uh, So the program is responsible for every college in the diocese. Okay. Uh, So they want to hit all of them. I'm not sure how many schools they're at now. I want to say they're at, like, four or five. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they're at like 30 missionaries-ish. I don't know offhand. It sounds like it's getting bigger. It's getting bigger. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, did the program. It was great. Uh, every like couple months I got a scan to check on how the treatment was working. Mm-hmm. Every three weeks I went in, got an infusion of the treatment. So mm-hmm. got an IV bag of it um, just to keep the treatment going. Um, and then... In November to January, it plateaued. So the shrinking stopped. Okay. Um, Which is kind of normal for that treatment. Um, At this point, the drug is only like four years old, so there's not a lot of data. Right. Uh, But usually what happens is the first year-ish, there's a lot of shrinkage, and then it just plateaus. What do you mean by shrinkage? Uh, so the tumors would shrink uh-huh. a lot over the first year. And then it just stays the same. Then it just stays the same. Okay. Um, so at that point, you know, the treatment, you know, we're not going to take me off of it. Um, but the tumors have stopped shrinking. They're still significant there. Um, but, you know, there's not direct pain from it or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's a good sign that there wasn't direct pain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jump ahead a couple months uh, to March again. It's like everything important happens around Lent. Right? Yeah, all of the sufferings. Yeah. Um, So part of our program, the Brew City Missionary Program, was an eight-day Ignatian silent retreat. Are you kidding me? That's amazing. Like, I never, that's kind of radical. I never really hear of anybody doing that. Yeah, it was great. Um, So for those of you who are not familiar, uh, an Ignatian silent retreat 
you are silent. You get a spiritual director to like guide you through it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll assign you meditations and prayers to pray throughout your day. Mm-hmm. Um, Is it, it's silent for all eight days? Yeah, so it's silent for all eight days. Uh, you have mass every day, so you get to talk during mass to say the responses and stuff. Well, that's good. Uh, and then you get to talk when you're meeting with your spiritual director. Okay, but you don't talk to each other? Correct. You do not talk to each other. Did you feel like you were going to die? No, I, I was super <laughs> chill with it. You were in your element. I was in my element. <laughs> awesome. Um, that's really radical. And so... Were there some people who had more trouble than others? Was, oh, yeah. There yeah. were, pe- there were this, other people who all were All the sanguines. Yeah. They're um, like, just talk to me. I'm there, sure some people probably did talk to each other. Uh, we... We know. were really good about it. That's that's cool. That's right. Um, that's stretching yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so one of my meditations early on... Um, so Ignatian meditation is you put yourself in imaginative prayer. So you sort of leave yourself and pray in an imaginary world and like, just sort of experience it. Like... Um, Praying with one of the gospels and imagining yeah. your, or one of the passages from the gospels and imagining yourself in that, like as one of the characters and in the scene and everything like yeah, that. Yeah. So in the scene, sometimes you're one of the characters, sometimes you're you. Uh huh. And so you, in that prayer, you can interact with the people in the scene and mm-hmm. like talk to them and stuff. Okay. Uh, and so usually how that works is you watch the scene of the gospel play out, uh, and then you can talk to one of the characters there and get a little more insight or something like that. Okay, so with that type of prayer, I would be, con- not afraid, but concerned mm-hmm. that I were just BSing it myself. Correct. So how do you know? That is something- what the spiritual director is right. for. Right, okay. Uh, so Ignatian meditation is an extremely powerful form of prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why it's so helpful to do it on a silent retreat because you can mute out the rest of the world. Uh, and so that makes you a lot more sensitive to the spiritual world. Spiritual world. Right. I had a priest. Uh, I went on a retreat in Denver, mm-hmm. um, Colorado, and the priest was actually Father Mike Rapp. He's the Catholic stuff you should know mm-hmm. podcaster. Um, he said that he does Ignatian prayer, and one time he was meditating on the Passion of Christ, and he was like, "I heard punk music <laughs> during my meditation." He was like, "Because Jesus was telling me that I was like the rebel for living out the call to like the Catholic faith." <laughs> I'm like, "You are so cool, Father Mike." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's weird stuff happens in them. Yeah, but yeah, that's I've why. I've tried. Well, I haven't tried hard enough. We'll mm-hmm. put it that way. But I would love to. If, yeah. So I'd love to hear more about your experience with it. Yeah, that's uh, part of why it's super important to have a good spiritual director for that. Um, on the one side, to make sure you're not BSing your way into anything you want. Sure. Yeah. So you're not. Satan can get into that and yeah. like feed you lies. Yeah. And that's. You believe that, and then that derails your discernment of what you're supposed to do or correct like how you're seeing God's will in your life. Yeah, and so that's the other one is either you can make stuff up along the way, or the spiritual sensitivity it makes you more sensitive to what God's saying, but it does also make you more sensitive to other influences from not so great spirits. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the spiritual director is there to help you interpret your prayer, uh, help you to point out like, Hey, that's not consistent with the Bible or what the church teaches. Let's take a deeper look at that and, you know, rule it out. It's not what God's saying to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but when, you hear God speaking through that prayer. It's very powerful. Do you have any like nuggets you want to share or those just for you? Um, most of them are for me. Yeah. Um, I will recount two of them for this because okay. they're connected story to the, time. <laughs> connected to the story. Um, so one of the meditations early on, um, you, it's a three-part meditation. You have a conversation with Mary. You have a conversation with Jesus on the cross. Mm-hmm. You have a conversation with God the Father in heaven. Okay. Um, and so the important part 
not important part, the relevant part <laughs> for this one is the conversation with Mary. Um, and so in this meditation, I approached her and asked her for poverty. So spiritual poverty to, you know, help me to grow in holiness. Mm-hmm. And so she... Spiritual poverty, like, what What was the goal there? Like detachment? Um, or littleness? I guess I'm trying to wrap my mind yeah. around what your motive was. Just because uh, it's interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. so... Uh, Francis of Assisi is a big... <gasps> I love him. <laughs> I he's love big for me. He's a I big think, influence yeah, on me. I love the Franciscan spirituality. I just think they're really cool. Like Franciscans, like the CFRs, mm-hmm. they're like really cool people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so my goal was... Um, I thought poverty, however God would interpret it, would help me to grow in holiness. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and so Mary comes over, grabs me, my, grabs me by my shoulders, and we both kneel down in front of each other. Wow. Uh, and then she lays her hands on my stomach where my surgery scars are. Wow. And tells me, you already have your poverty. Aww. Oh, she's such a good mom. <laughs> um, and then, you know, we hugged it out, and it was nice. Yeah, it was pretty good. Um, and so then later on, I'm recounting this to the spiritual director and his eyes get big and he stops me and so he tells me stand up and uh, come over to the center of the room and so he looks me straight in the eyes grabs me by my shoulders and we take the same position Mm -hmm. and he lays his hands on me in the same place Mm -hmm. and prays over me for healing wow did he have some of those gifts of healing or just... Uh, he had some gifts, that's for sure. <laughs> um, and, you know, this was a holy guy. Um, part of having a spiritual director is that you are trusting them with your spiritual life. So I let him do his thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't feel any different. Sure. Uh, then uh, fast forwarding a couple days in the uh, Ignatian retreat. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm specifically praying with my discernment because I'm asking God, like, hey, what should I do after this year? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's only a year-long mission. So right. you're, like, looking for the next step. Yeah, and, you know, I was turning 26, which is when you get kicked off your parents' insurance, so right. I couldn't really do the fundraise salary like, I anymore. need to find a job. <laughs> um, and so I was praying, mm-hmm. uh, there's a forest next to the place where we were. Uh, so I was praying in the forest, asking God about that. Uh, like, hey, what do you want me to do? Mm-hmm. Um, and so related to this, my undergraduate degree is in environmental and water resource engineering. Wow, that's really focused. Um, so engineering degree focusing on like water treatment, sewers, stuff like that. Uh, so... I'm walking in the forest, talking to God, like, hey, what do you want me to do? Mm -hmm. And he tells me, I did not buy your life from cancer so that you could sit in a cubicle designing sewers. Whoa, I like the sound of that. (laughs) Um, I love that. And so I take that back to my spiritual director because, you know, I have the same concern that you brought up, like, Am I just making this up? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I know. Because I would be like, is that just me saying that? Because yeah. that sounds something I, like something I would say. <laughs> um, and he looks me straight in the eye and says, you heard what God said. And I approached God about it afterwards, um, asking about that same thing. Like, hey, am I making this up? Mm-hmm. And he told me, you know yourself. You don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. You would much rather have an office job. You would much rather do the quiet, hidden life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's how you know... You're called to the other thing. Right. To ministry. Right. Because it's going to stretch you. Yeah. Going. I heard one priest say, uh, a Carmelite priest, um, he said that you should go against the grain of your temperament. Yeah. In and life, in general. Ministry so. is very much against my grain. <laughs> Um, yeah, so... Although I think there is, 
like for me, I'm extroverted. Mm-hmm. So, and we were just talking about this earlier, how ministry can be isolating. Yeah. And that's against the grain of my temperament. Like there are ex- extroverted aspects to the job, but I'm mm-hmm. not with people all the time. Yeah. And that's tough. So there's like a sanctification, purification, growth mm-hmm. in that. Yeah. 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 There, there's no, there's rules of thumb, but they never apply to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, For sure. Yeah. But yeah, so at that point, I'm like, oh, I guess I need to go into ministry. So come back from the eight-day retreat uh, and immediately start looking and applying for campus ministry jobs and youth ministry jobs. All over. Or just in Uh, Milwaukee. All over. There weren't really any options in Milwaukee. And I sort of felt like I needed to get away from my home mm-hmm. uh, to trust more fully in God, you know, take like an exile period. Mm-hmm. An exodus yeah. into the desert. <laughs> um, I love being dramatic. <laughs> you know, uh, I wasn't sure if it was going to be a permanent thing or a temporary thing. Uh, you know, still don't know that sort of thing. Right. Um, but yeah, I start applying for jobs um, and I come across the posting for the campus minister here at Amsel. Okay. Uh, I check out the website and I feel that same sort of peace right away mm. that I did when I picked the campus missionary uh-huh. thing. And so I figured, oh, I guess I need to apply for this. And I applied for other things because, you know, that's prudent. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, this was the only job that really went anywhere. Sure. Uh, Father Nick. God closed all other doors. Yeah. And opened just that one. That's usually how God works with me, too. He, like, eliminates all but one option. And I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, I guess this is where we're going. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, Father Nick here, uh, he was willing to hire me without, like, a theology degree, which was great because I had an engineering degree. Uh-huh. Well, you fit right in because everybody else does in St. Louis. So, there you go. <laughs> I've never met more engineers in my life. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, came down here, interviewed, and ended up getting the job and moved down here. And I am still here three years later. And the cancer? Oh, yeah. Uh, back to the whole uh, eight-day Ignatian retreat. Uh, um, so I ended up having another set of scans the week after the retreat. Okay. Um, and this set of scans specifically said the largest tumor was completely gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that tumor was uh, the size and dimensions of a tennis ball cut in half. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then every other tumor had shrunk by at least 50% if it wasn't completely gone. Uh, the tumors in my spine were completely gone. Oh my gosh. Wow. Um, and since then, there have been no other changes. Mm-hmm. Um And so I stayed on treatment. I was on treatment when I moved down here. Uh, I stayed on treatment for a total of about three years. At the three-year mark, uh, my doctor decided, hey, you know, we don't usually like putting people on chemicals for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. Uh, So let's do some other scans, get a closer look at things. Um, They did another PET scan, which can tell if things are alive as opposed to if things are just there. Mm-hmm. And it turned out that all the tumors that were left were completely dead. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, and so I personally interpret that as when Father prayed for me on that retreat. He healed you? He Well, God healed me through him, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, semantics, yeah, yeah. all that stuff. All that stuff, yeah. Um, and I had that complete healing through that. Mm-hmm. Um, Seemed like it was the Blessed Mother based on your story. Yeah, that's uh, that's how people interpret it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mama Mary, she's amazing. She is. She's um, like literally the best. Besides Jesus. Yeah. Of course. Um, you know, because I was on treatment that had previously been effective before, it doesn't fit Vatican's things for miracles and all that fun stuff. Did you look into that? Uh, not super hard, but like it's just a little bit. Part of my ministry, part yeah. of ministry, is like being aware of the requirements and uh-huh. stuff like that. Um, so it's definitely a personal miracle as opposed to something that you know gets Vatican approved. Sure. Uh, but it's good enough for me, and it seems to be good enough for a lot of people. Heck yeah, that's freaking amazing. That's like 
I don't know. Like you're a living, walking miracle. It's awesome. Um, yeah. So thank you for sharing your story and being super vulnerable and sharing like some of the insights that you receive from prayer with our listeners. Um, we'll continue to pray for you and you. for your vocation um, to meet your future spouse. <laughs> <laughs> maybe in St. Louis, maybe back in Milwaukee, or maybe somewhere else. But mm -hmm. we'll continue to pray for you, especially after you shared about fighting for your kids. Like, that's powerful. Um, so, yeah, it seems like the Lord has definitely blessed you a lot. And um, I'm sure, like, you sharing your story gives a lot of other people hope. So, praise God that he's doing wonderful things through you. Um, is there anything you'd like to tell our listeners before we peace out? Yeah, Milwaukee has better beer than St. Louis. <laughs> the moral of the story. Hey, I got to go check it out sometime. Oh, yeah. Awesome. All right. Thank well, you, Jacinta. thank you, Kevin. You are the man. And, um, yeah, uh, God bless everybody, all of our listeners. And until next time, see you guys later. All right. Bye. Bye.